Welcome to Get in the Herd, a podcast about addiction and recovery brought to you by the McShin Foundation. If you or a loved one are looking for real discussions about addiction, recovery, stigma, advocacy, and most importantly, hope, then stick around. Thanks for joining us. Now sit back and get ready for another great episode of Get in the Herd. And actually, that makes total sense. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I know me. You know, so that, that's our life mission. That's the McKenzie mission. You don't have to understand my boundaries to respect them. Well, no, I'm the president co-founder of McShane, a person of long-term recovery from substance use disorders. How do you go about fixing the damage between, in the trust between the family after you get out? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I gotta work on that. Like, um, celebrating my six months didn't have a cake. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, oh, so started tonight. We still got some folks piling in. Y'all just grab some chairs and gather around. We're going to have a very interesting conversation tonight. As you know, uh, McShin is glad to bring these presentations to not only the facility, but the people watching. These uh, talks that we do, eventually they end up in, we're in 79 different correctional facilities right now. They get to watch these meetings on their tablets. So we're spreading hope and love and passion throughout the country, and we hope to expand those boundaries and borders. We're always grateful for uh, Sheriff Gregory for allowing us up in here. And that is the sound of recovery in action. Uh, we got a great speaker lined up. Uh, but before we get there, I want our co-host, myself and Marshall Tucker, the famous Marshall Tucker. We co-host this show every week for y'all, Marshall. Good evening, good evening. My name is Marshall Tucker, famous name. <laughs> and, uh, man, I'm happy to be a part of something new 
and something exciting, you know, something to do with recovery, you know. And uh, man, we bring in an excellent program here. My thinking, my thinking is uh, once you go through all of this and get out there, then what? Once you accomplish some of the goals that you got here, then what? You know, part of this addiction thing, man, is like we stop growing. Oh, I have arrived, you know, in a small amount of time. You know, we stop growing. And this is part of what this thing is about, man, to continue growing. I don't mind telling anybody, man, I'm over 70 years old and I'm still growing. I'm still finding out things about myself. And I'm amazed at it, you know. That's, that's what keeps me going now. I'm amazed at what I find out about myself. And I know the next individual would be just as amazed as I am. This is why I do this, man. This is food for me. This feeds me. Just like Bible study, you know. It feeds me. And I need to be fed. 70 years old, I don't want to go a day without eating. That's why we're here, you know? And I'm happy to be here, happy to be yeah. a part of this. Thank you, Marshall. The, um, and once again, I apologize for the preacher. I had no idea we were coming in on Bible study night. Normally we do these on Tuesdays, but we were closed yesterday. Um, but how, how many of y'all were looking forward to the Bible study, though? Say, look, I got a good hit for you. I got Jesus on my heart, okay? I don't usually talk about that. And I don't know why I should probably talk more about that. My sister right now would be loving me tell this little story. But I'll tell you a quick story. Marshall been clean 33 years? 33 years. 33 years. 34 years clean and sober. And I personally, I was arrested 12 times, four times in foreign countries. I got clean in 1982. August 10th, 1982 is my clean day. Over 40 years. Short story, two weeks before I got clean, I was in the Marine Corps. I was in the barracks, and I was partying one night in the back of the barracks, and I had to make a head call. So I go to the head, and there's 85 Marines in this barracks, all partying in the back, but there's two Marines at the head door. They, don't, they ain't going to let you go into the, use the head unless they witnessing Jesus to you. You with me? True story. So here I am partying it up, got to make a head call. Two of my buddies, the only two guys in the whole battalion that got Jesus, and their job is to witness to Marines. And they cornered me. And they stood there for like 10 minutes trying to convince me to, to get Jesus, okay? And I explained to them I was raised Catholic. I was, I've been saved three times up until that time, but clearly my lifestyle wasn't demonstrating the saving part. So, so, they, so I said, look, if I don't want to get saved again, you're going to make me. Go to go shave my hair and sell Bibles and flowers at the airport. You know, I, mean? I, I didn't see myself as a witness of Christ. You follow me so far? They said, no, 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 John, that ain't what it's about. Once you get Jesus in your heart, you're good to go. You do whatever at that point in time. You with me? I said, all right. And I meant it. You ever seen a person that got Jesus, how lit up they are and how powerful they are and how excited they are? I mean, who wouldn't want that excitement, right? I mean, I would certainly want it. So, man, I got on my knees. We prayed together. You got a vision this in the open squad bay barracks, three Marines on their knees, holding each other on the shoulder, repeating that prayer. Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. 
you know, show me how to live, that, that type of prayer. And, and I sat there for about two minutes waiting on Jesus, you know what I mean? I wanted to feel that, that, that hit, you know what I mean? Because, you know, I like a hit. And, and, you know, nothing happened. Nothing happened. Two weeks later, I'm in rehab by default. Forty-plus years later, clean and sober, I'm sharing that story with you. Now, I keep waiting. I keep waiting for Jesus to show up like he shows up in so many people. But I'll tell you one thing. I ain't had to sell one Bible, one flower. All I know is on a daily basis, every morning when I wake up, first two things I think about is money I'll never make and women I'll never have. But when my feet hit that floor, I say your will, not my will. And I chase the God of my understanding's will for me on a daily basis, and it keeps me from chasing drugs. And you're going to hear from a, a speaker here real soon, and she's going to tell you pretty much the same thing. You know, if, if you're out there, see, that, that obsession to use is so strong that if we don't find another obsession, we're going to go back to using. And my obsession is to carry that message of hope from the disease of addiction that an addict, any addict, can stop using drugs lose that desire to use drugs and find a new way to live. And it's that new way to live that keeps me away from that desire to use drugs. The drug get high ain't going to be for so good. But that recovery get high on a daily basis is this good. That recovery high is the one. And you can find it from within. You know, you get that spiritual awakening. Anything's possible. Sheriff, you got any words before we get started? We want to thank Sheriff Gregory once again for inviting us in her facility. I'm just grateful for another opportunity for us to share, to bring somebody in, to, to be able to share that message. Um, my desire is that if I show you enough examples of what your life can be, that becomes your desire. Um, because I said it before, I feel like you all are on the cusp of being the best you you can be. You deserve it. Your families deserve it. The community deserves it. I want to be able to bring you back to share with others because, right, you keep it back in the way, right? And so that that is the goal of bringing folks in to share their message to let you know what's possible. So with that, thank you. Thank you, Chef. Now, our speaker I've known for many, many years, okay? Pay attention. Shows up here. Ain't over there. But this speaker probably first was introduced to recovery maybe as a teenager once you a teenager very young girl and i've seen her in and out of this program i've seen her get many years in recovery i've seen her not chase her recovery and, and go back out and come back in go back i've seen the good the bad and the ugly but this woman i'm telling you i i'm so inspired by the the stuff she had to go through to get where she is today. This woman will go to any length to help a person. I've, I've witnessed it for a long time. And when I asked her to come in here and share tonight, she did not hesitate. And she drove an hour and a half to get here. She lives in Taiwan. She don't even live in this area no more. But she come up here because she got such a heart for carrying that message of hope from this disease. And she, and she loved the chef. She loved what they do in Henrico Jail. She loved the RISE program. Probably been there. You've been to RISE before. They didn't make that one, but she, she made a lot of jails over the years. So let's give a warm Henrico Jail West welcome for Tammy. Tammy, come on up. 
Got every jail but Henrico, but easy. No, actually, uh, let me just tell my own doggone story. Thank you so much for the warm welcome. Hey, y'all, I'm Tam, and I'm a person in long-term recovery. And what that means to me is that I've had continuous abstinence from drugs um, since January the 17th of 2019. Um, it means a lot to me. Uh, but, but when I say long-term recovery, I want to tell you that my path to recovery didn't start three years and nine months ago. Um, it actually started about 41 years ago. Um, I went to treatment for the first time when I was 17. Um, but I, I had already been incarcerated then, before then, way before then I had been incarcerated. Um, the path to recovery, you know, has, has entailed for me like a myriad of experiences, of experiments, and, and I say experiments because it's all been an experiment. You know, I'm, I'm, I'll just tell you, I'm, I'll be 58 in January. Um, I like to say I'll be four years clean in January, but I, I remember Linda, a, a girl, Linda, she always says we don't front anybody clean time around here. So I'm sticking to three years and nine months and I'll get my clean date, my, my clean date if I keep it one day at a time. Um, I think uh, the, you know, I've made every single mistake that a person could make, really. Um, I don't know how many. OK, so let me just ask a question, but just to show a show of hands. How many people, is this the only time that you've ever been in jail? Anybody? Okay. So who's been in jail more than twice? Who's been in jail more than five times? Who's been in jail a dozen times? So I, I'm in that last category. And what, what John was sharing was that, um, you know, I'm living proof. And that there's so many other living proofs that, like, if, if people like us can get clean, that an addict, any addict, can stop using, lose the desire to use, and find a new way to live. And I, I'll tell you, I didn't believe that, you know, I thought it was horse cock up for a long, long time. Um, but what I want to tell you is that. I am you and, and you are me. Like there's, there's no difference except for, you know, you're male and I'm not, but that, um, anybody, anybody sitting there can be standing right here, you know, and, and I say right here, but you could be doing, you could be living the dream. Um, you know, I had so many, what I would consider failures along the way. But um, the, I think the magic in the whole thing, you know, I don't know how many people have been to 12 step recovery, you know, but you hear it all the time. Keep coming back, keep coming back. It works if you work it, keep coming back. Well, you know, through 41 years of my first treatment to, to now, it's like, it's been mostly what I would continue you know, what I would consider to be failures. But what I look at them at now is experiments, like with my own truth. Like what is true um, 
for me, like what is the what is the the, the pure undisputed truth about how I can and cannot live my life? Um, and so I've tried to pull it off in every imaginable way, you know, like I've, I've tried getting clean, um, from, from coming to jail and spending a long time in prison. Um, I'll just tell you this. I started out in the court system. Um, literally I remember, and, and this isn't a legal charge on me, but like, I mean, I remember being five years old and my um, my mom coming into a juvenile and domestic court with my dad. And my mom is, she always, uh, I, I remember the, like the week before we went, she was talking about, you know, if you, uh, if, you know, if you're ever insecure about anything, dress like you're walking off the cover of Vogue magazine. So my, mo my mom would come into the courtroom with this big brimmed hat on. We're talking about in the 70s with long gloves up to here, you know, and looked like she walked off the cover of Vogue magazine. Meanwhile, I'm sitting over here with my dad and, and he's, he taught me the concept of twiddling your thumbs. So, you know, at a young age, I was introduced to the courtroom. Um, you know, my mother and father fought like that. I mean, you know, it was nothing unusual, you know, for that. Anybody remember a telephone cord? My mom would have it pulled, you know, screaming telephone cord, you know, all the way across the room and she's doing whatever she does and screaming into the phone. And then when, you know, my father came to pick me up, she opened the door this much and, and pushed me out. Um, and, and she wasn't necessarily, she wasn't wrong for that, but it made an impression on me. Um, and, you know, as for, you know, my, my dad, you know, he was a pretty wild guy and they were all, you know, alcoholics and, you know, it was just a regular thing in the household to see drugs and alcohol um, and fighting, a lot of fighting. There was a lot of violence and it was like real violence. It wasn't the, the push you violence. It was the beat you violence. And, um, you know, so that type of stuff was instilled in me from a little, a, you know, from a really early age. Um, you know. Pretty much as a result of like all this strife in in my life, I, I I really I wasn't an okay kid in the first place. I, I had some problems. Um, I had some behavioral problems, and and it seemed like uh, just all of the the dynamics in my family life. I I, I started running away really early on. Like, um, I, I believe I probably jumped out of the second story window from our house out in Chesterfield at about eight years old. And um, I became a runaway and I, I would disappear um, for, for days. And, you know, at one point uh, my grandmother got a call and I don't know if y'all remember the operator. Well, my, I'm, I'm calling from, from California and the operator's on there. She's like, ma'am, do you accept the call? You know, is that, nobody's laughing. I need, I need some levity here. Do I need everybody to get up and like stretch or something? Everybody been working all day? Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, I, I'm trying to think of my jokes and they're not sounding very funny to me. 
Um, but yeah, I, I was a runaway and I was held to pay. Like I, I was really hard to handle. And um, I literally, I started running away and I was considered, I was deemed by the courts to be incorrigible. And um, I was locked up and I don't know if anybody's, I'm a Richmonder. Anybody as many, many people, Richmonders in here. Like I'm, I'm born, bred Richmond, Southside, born MCV hospital, um, 1965, 13th floor. There's no floor, 13th floor. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, it, it was just some really wild time. Like it, it was a different, it was a different time. And, um, you know, like runaway, like for me to be a runaway, uh, you know, I'm, I'm out there as a little kid and I got my finger out on the highway and, and I'm going to Florida and I'm going to California, eight, nine, 10 years old. Well, they locked me up. They locked me up. Um, if anybody's familiar with Mecklenburg over there uh, at the top of, um, you know, the bottom of Broad Street, hang a left. And there, there was a juvenile and domestic relations over there and they had a lockup for juveniles. Um, and, you know, just, I got a shout out to my friend, Travis M. He and I both, we, we've compared notes about being in there. And um, so they ended up sending me like literally out, out, out there by John's house. Actually, I, I got sent to this place called Janie Porter Barrett School for Girls. Um, and it's where they sent, you know, girls that were, you know, not teens yet. And so they, they sent me out there. And I mean, and at that age, and if you can imagine, anybody in here got nine, 10 year old kids? Yeah. So I don't know if you can imagine nine, 10 year old kid being locked in a room. I mean, y'all know what ISO is, right? Well, so, I mean, I, I think I spent about eight months in, in isolation as, you know, as eight or nine year old. And the second they opened the door, what do you think I did? Damn right I ran. And I took off running. I probably ran through John's yard, but I was down through that creek down there and down through the swamp. And, and, and I didn't stop until I found the interstate. And when, that, when I found that interstate, I was gone. And I, I didn't come back till I was 26. All right, so now let's think about that gap. Let's think about that gap. So I'm, I'm, I'm a very young girl, and I'm out there hitchhiking. Um, truck drivers are picking me up. Any thoughts on how that was working out? It wasn't working out very well. So um, I, the talent, well, the talent, I'm y'all from here too. Um, in, in South Richmond, like it was full of bikers during that time. And, you know, my, my dad was in the biker scene. My brothers were in the biker scene. All those folks, you know, like my grandmother had a shot house and they ran numbers out there. And um, I mean, she, basically she was the Oak Grove. I don't know if anybody's familiar with the Grove. Anybody? Yeah, the Grove. Yep. So it's right above Hillside Court. And that's where I was raised over there off the pike. And um you know, so when I was out there hitchhiking, I remember being on 95 way down there in South Florida and I was coming back north because I didn't have anywhere to go. And um, I happened to like look over at this uh, this truck stop and there was like a whole bunch of motorcycles over there. And I was like, stop the truck. So 
you stop the truck and I get out. Well, what it ended up being was some gangsters, you know, the, some real ones. Like all, all I knew was like the kind of like soft gangsters around here. These were like the real thing. And, um, and I was picked up um, by this guy named Arab. And, um, and I, stayed, I stayed with those guys. Um, I stayed in that environment um, for about 12 years. Um, I started running drugs from South Florida up to Detroit. And I mean, you know, it was, it was, it was some pretty, pretty wide open times down there in Florida at that time. And, um, you know, I was exposed to a lot of violence, a lot, a lot. I knew, I already knew about violence, so it was nothing unusual for me. And we're starting to see a pattern here, right? So, um, you know, I would run off and I would try to escape the violence, but I mean, but I was like, I was on drugs 24, 7, 365, like every day, every waking moment, like I, I was, I was always on drugs and there was always violence and it was always, there was always, it was always guns. There was always, just always you know, a lot of violent stuff going on. It was, it was a, a gang life. And um, I would keep running off. And, um, and, and this is a really weird thing to tell to a bunch of guys, right? And there's a couple of chicks in the room. But, like, I, I had one guy sell me to another guy for, like, a $2,000 diamond ring and five grand. So when I ran off from this guy over here, he wanted his property back. So I would run and I would come back to Richmond um, and he would come get me. And he would come and say, he was like, you're either going to come out of the house or, you know, he was going to like set off dynamite or something. He was going to blow up the neighborhood. Um, so I would come out and I would go back. But on one of these times, I smartened up and I didn't come right back to the area that I, that I was, um, that I grew up in. And I went out to the country to my stepmother's place and, um, and she was like, uh, Tammy, please just, just, just stay home, just stay home. And, and I was in withdrawal. I mean, I was in really rough shape. I had really bad, not just, uh, not just, I had withdrawal from alcohol. I had withdrawal from narcotics. There was a there was a lot of really strong stuff out there during that time, and um, and I was in really bad shape. And I believe I was about uh, seventeen, about about seventeen years old. And um, so she took me out to my first treatment, and that's that's what I, I was talking about. You know that I, I believe that my path of recovery started then. Because it was right then and there, and I and I guarantee you, I didn't stay there any more than than two or three days, long enough to find a boy and go make out behind the trailers or whatever, you know, out in the little um, bushes or whatever. And and next thing you know, the you know, first time anybody said anything to me, I was out the door and I was gone. And I was pretty much, um, I was pretty much a wild animal. And I remember not long after that. Um, I was downtown on Gray Street, and if anybody's familiar with old Gray Street, I mean, it was hopping. It was motorcycles, cars, bars, girls, boys, everybody's throwing down out there. And um, 
but there was this one area on the other side of Belvedere uh, on Gray Street where there was a, a AA clubhouse and there was a old, um, the, the, I think it was the first Rubicon that was right there in the old AA clubhouse at Madison. And um, I was over there and I really, you know, I knew about this thing called recovery, but I'm standing there and I'm telling you, I was a wild animal. I, I had on shorts up to here and a shirt on up to here. And, you know, back then uh, I was 36 D, I'm 36 long now. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I mean, you know, I had I had this guy walk up to me. And he's in my life today, and his name is Moses, Moses W. And that guy pulled up to me, and he started talking to me about recovery. And he actually was looking at me in the eyes. And, and that was something that I wasn't used to. I wasn't used to anybody looking at me in the eyes. I was used to them looking at me from here down, you know. Um, and, and Moses never did that. And he took me right on down the street, this other place called 919. And, um, he introduced me to this lady named Nancy. She was working at the front desk. And, um, so it was from really, I, I mean, when I say that I started my recovery at, during that time, I, I really believe that that was the first time that I saw anything that looked like sanity. I had no idea. What, san what sanity was. All I knew was chaos and, you know, and, and you just needed to be crazier than the other one, you know. Uh, you just needed, you know, you just needed to show that you were, you know, you could hold your own. And if, and if I got in a fight, I mean, I literally, it was, it was during busing, um, during busing in, in South Richmond and we were bused uh, in, in Oak Grove, we were bused over to Churchill and, and it was nothing but, but fights and war. It was race war during that time. And, um, I mean, it was dangerous. And, um, I'll tell you, you know, I, I've, I've been shot, um, stabbed. Be you know, but I, I for somehow or another I never never had a broken bone, right? Um, but it was about how tough you, you are, you know. It was about what you know if you could hold your own, and so I I pretty much prided myself from from then until present on personal strength, right? And it didn't occur to me till way much later. Um, that the real asset, like, like the real strength when you get here is actually not how well you can fight now, you know, not how well you can shoot a gun, not how well you can, you know, sling it. What, what's the most strength that you can get in recovery is the ability to surrender. And that's, that's crazy, you know, cause I just can't imagine myself ever thinking like that before. Um, let me take a look, you know, cause I, I wrote these notes, right. Cause I really wanted to stay on track and, and then, uh, John wouldn't let me go back and get my watch. So I have no idea what time it is. Um,
I know it. Uh, you know, and I, and I, I don't like, I don't want to like, um, spend a whole, like, I, I want, my main thing here was that I, I want folks to know that like, no matter how many times you've broken your vow, like the most important thing that you can do here is keep coming back. And like, when I think about, I think about John, like was talking about him. He, I was at his 40th anniversary. Right. And, um, and it, and it really kind of hurt a little bit because I know that about the time he was on the West coast getting clean, I was over here trying to get clean. Right. And he got clean and, and he made a life for himself. And I kept doing the things that I was like, I kept, I couldn't get out. I could not get out. I could not surrender myself, you know, um, like how many times I've burnt it down how many times I've burned it down right but like if I can get anything across to you tonight if you take anything with you it would be the concept of no matter what keep coming back no matter what just don't leave no matter what keep coming back for help because eventually if somebody like me if somebody like me can stop using for a day like and and just like stay here um and and stay in recovery and and even um you know just like with some adverse experiences I, i've been i've been shocked that i've been able to put this this four years together right here because i was broken um i landed in this jail um january 17th of 2019 and and I really think that what solidified it for me is that and I, I mean I've been to jail so many times doing time is easy for me you know I get in there and I get a trustee job um, I get you know I get into every group available you know, and, and base and, and it's like, I think that I'm all with it until the second she let me out the door and then I start running my life again. Right. And, and, and I, I, I went to prison, I went to prison in 1990. Um, and this is just an example of, uh, of that type of thinking because I, I went to prison in 1990 and I stayed there until 96. I had a 20 year sentence, but back then it was still, they had parole and everything. And so um, they, they let me out and I, I was out for, and I, I mean, I had, look y'all, I had started taking college class. I'd done all this stuff. My first couple of years that I was in penitentiary, I was raised by guys who said, oh, well, when you get there, you just find the first biggest person that you can find and just punch them in the face. Well, that's what I did. I spent the first couple of years in the basement of the jail in the prison, right? And, and I, I, I like, finally, you know, after so many of those and I'm at the, in the basement of the jail in a paper gown on in a camera cell, you know, with no mattress, uh, cause I can't keep my hands to myself and I'm standing there and I'm looking at the daggone, you know, whatever kind of mirror that thing is supposed to be. You know, and I'm looking at there, I'm like, what is happening? You know, what is, what is this? And it, and everything that I had been being told about the disease of addiction started, you know, revealing itself to me. 
And so now I'm on the track. I, they, they finally, I did a year in the basement of the jail and the prison. I did 90 days SAG, 10 days isolation. 90 days, because ACLU, they had this you know, human rights thing. They couldn't keep you in SAG for so many, or they couldn't keep you in isolation for longer than 10 days or whatever. So I do 90 days of segregation, go downstairs for 10 days, come back upstairs for 90. That went on for a calendar year. And when they let me out, I was broke. I was, I was, I didn't hit any. As a matter of fact, I can count the times on less than one hand of how many times I've hit anybody since then, to be honest with you. I was broken. Um, but I did get out of there and I had a, uh, the, the, the authentic, like genuine desire to get better, to get out of prison, to get my kids back. Um, and they let me out in 1996 and I got out and, um, and I, I just thought I was doing great. The Diocese of Virginia sent me uh, to New York for uh, that. During that time, they had this thing with um, the, the drug mule and they, they wanted to send me up there uh, for these high sentences for, for drug mules. So they sent me to New York City to get this training and coalition building. Well, came home, um, then they had this chick walk up to me that I'd seen in AA sometimes. She walked up to me and she was like, well, how are you doing? And I'm like, fine. She said, well, give me a call. We'll work the steps. And I'm like, bitch, if you were the last person on the planet, I would not call you you know she was tall and blonde and pretty you know younger than me less education than me yeah have shit for me yeah i'm sorry i shouldn't even try to watch my mouth but i do have a mouth so uh about three months later i'm at richmond city jail and nobody will take my call and i'm dialing the blonde 804-320-4441. I still know that number, right? I'm dialing the number, and so I get on the phone. This chick Val, and she um, she ended up coming to the jail and starting this really cool. Like she started and she started doing this um, this step work. You know, she wanted to you know take anybody who wanted to. She wanted to take them through the steps, and it started out with like 50 people, right? And at the end of it, it was like 10. And I ended up going through the steps with her, right? And um, she was my sponsor all through, like, uh, all, all through the rest of my jail stay. And then when I got out, um, I mean, I had been through the steps. And, um, and I, I, I literally, I spent that second stint of being locked up till 2000. I was locked up until April 30th, 2000. Um, and... Uh, and I got out and I had the, the cutest little apartment in Bonaire, you know, and I got my little home group and, you know, and I was a part of the in crowd, you know, um, and then he walked in. Then he walked in and, um, and he was maybe about six months sober, you know, here I am, I got my quality six, seven years. This was Alan Noe. <laughs> Yeah, you remember that, right? Uh, so, so um, he walks in, and, and my sponsor's like, you know, that guy is a newcomer, and if you do that with him, there's no way I can sponsor you. 
Well, I waited till he was one year and one day, and then we got married, right? And one year, one day, plus one more day, and I was like, what in the hell did I do? You know, I was at VCU. I had full custody of my kids. Uh, you know, I had him, his daughter, I had a house full of kids and dogs and cats, had a catering business. I mean, I came out of the penitentiary on fire. Literally, my hair was on fire. I was going to make a life for myself. I meant it. And um, within, I'd say, three months of getting married and, and, and moving into an actual house. Like I never had a place to live. I've never had a place to go home before. Um, I think that's when I met you. Not, not about that time. Um, I started shooting dope and I was making all this cash money doing catering. I mean, we were doing like three to five, two to 500 person weddings a weekend at a minimum of $40 a head. You do the math. It was crazy. Like we were making money hand over fist and it was legal. And, um, and I'm stuffing money in the mattress, right? I'm not trying to pay nothing. I'm not trying to give up nothing. You know, I'm just trying uh, like, like I'm, I'm stacking, but meanwhile, I'm slipping over here to, to Oak Grove and getting one little bag of dope because it won't hurt nothing and nobody will know. And one bag of dope turned into a gram and so on and so forth. And next thing you know, I'm in my Rudy Tootie snooty house in Bonaire in the upstairs bathroom shooting dope with a veterinarian needle. And I'm telling you, it might as well have been a basketball needle. I just wanted it in me. I, I mean, it was so horrifying. I just, I just had to get it in me. And um, it, it, you know, it didn't last long. Um, I came in one day, and uh, kids, everybody was in the den in there. And I came in, and I always like I pull my pockets out. Everything goes on the counter. Well, the twenty dollar bill that that bag of dope was wrapped up in, was in that $20 bill, and I ran to the restroom, and somebody came in and picked up the $20 bill, and they knew what it looked like. They knew what my $20 bills looked like when they folded a certain way, right? And so they called me on it. Well, can we say she burned it down again? She burned it down again. And I'm telling you, I wanted a life. Like, I, I wanted a life. I burned it down again. And um, that's how I actually I shifted. That's kind of like when I, when I shifted from, um, I, had, I had people come to the house and stay with me while I was kicking. Then they, they came and took me over to that, um, that office over there on McTavish. And uh, they, well, they took me down there to Rubicon and put me in the detox. And then I had to come over to McTavish and, and get a talking to. And they would say, like, well, there's this, uh, this thing going on upstairs. I don't really know what they're doing up there yet. Well, 
that was the that was McShane. That was two thousand six, I believe. Was two thousand four? Okay, so that was that was the upstairs of McShane. That was when McShane's office was about the size of this table, and there was three other people. And how that those other three people, that one guy, it's like out of those few people, that first little group of people, that one guy died. I mean, I was crazy about this guy, right? And I thought for sure. He went and, and overdosed overdose in McDonald's bathroom, like uh, the week after I was detoxed, right? And 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 died. And um and I was crazy about him. And I was like, oh no, there's no way I'm gonna do dope again. Well, I stayed on for a while, and you know, and I I, I stayed on for a while, and I, I really did. I wanted to get my life together. I was going to try again because I'm just a keep coming back kind of girl. And I tried. And um, sure enough, man, I was back out there. I, I was coming and then I, and I was using, I was living this whole double life. Um, and it's just, I'm not that chick. It's not, I, it, I am not able to live a double life. Um, John has this saying, he is like the cream rises to the top. Well, my saying is kind of like the same, but different is that recovery is like a self-cleaning oven. The bullshit is going to bake its way out. Yeah. And my bullshit baked me out. And I, I remember like after uh, McShin had moved over to um, the church over there on Dumbarton, and, um, you know, and I'm still like, I'm struggling, I'm struggling, I'm on the street. I'm, I'm trying to keep, I'm trying to keep it. I'm trying to keep it. I'm trying to keep it, trying not to lose it. But I kept losing stuff over and over and over. Main thing I was losing was my mind. Um, you know, and I, oh God, you were oh my God. So. So you, you ain't even touched on the crack part yet, man. No, I haven't. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I mean, let's just if I'm being honest, if I'm if I'm being honest, there's not a drug out there. You know, there, and as sick as I am, look, I've never done X. And so, like, here I am, like four years clean. I'm like, damn, I wonder if I could try X. No, the answer to that question is no, I cannot try X. But, you know, it's like any kind of way that you can. I have tried to use any way you can turn it, whether it's alcohol, whether it's crack. I mean, I you, you can't get me started. If if I take so much as one drink, it the it starts ticking down to the time that I'm getting my first rock and bag of dope. I'm going to be riding through there in whatever, you know, it's like, I've always been good. I get myself a car, I hustle, you know, that, that's the thing, you know, it's like, I always pretty much got my way, you know, and, and that was probably one of the worst things about it is I, I got my way. And I was like, uh, I mean, you know, my sponsor, that was dur actually during the time where my sponsor started becoming, she became my sponsor during that time. And she's my sponsor today, but you know, there's been some gaps in that. And, um, I mean, I just, I could not be honest. I could not completely give myself to this simple way of life. I just couldn't do it. Um, 
But I think, uh, how much time I got? Sponsorship, the value so, of it. So let's fast forward to January of 2019. Um, I'm driving down the road. I've got a car full of stuff that I shouldn't have. And I'm riding in Henrico County with one headlight. Come on now. <laughs> Can you see the L? Beaming from my... So, and I mean, I had been, I had been using hard and, and I mean, I've been using so hard that on a daily basis, I've got three car, uh, three dogs and I, I live alone. And on a daily basis, two or three times a day, I was coming to on the floor hours later, I was overdosing two and three times a day, every single day. And, uh, I mean, you know, and I think about it later, you know, but, but I could have, I could have very easily died in that room and, and my dogs wouldn't have had one, the only choice my dogs would have had to, to survive themselves. And, and I'm not even going to say it, right? But, you know, but they would have had to start munching on me, right? Because I would have died there alone, right? But instead, I was driving that car with one headlight and um, I almost got out of it, y'all. I almost got out of it, but I just had to have one more pit while I was waiting for the tow truck. Right, he had, he would, he let me park in the in the in the um, convenience store over here, and I had the excuse I'm gonna walk the dog. I just had to have one more hit. I'm gonna walk over here in this neighborhood and have one more hit while I wait for the tow truck. Well, he saw me. And he came around here, he came around there and he locked me up and I came down here and I'll tell you what was, it was the most jarring experience I've ever had. And I say that not because I hadn't been to jail. God only knows how many times, dozens of times, right? But this time my dogs, it was January, right? And it was cold. It, we had just had a couple feet of snow. And my dog, I did not have heat, right? I had those electric things. And so I got locked up. I came down here. They confiscated my phone. And my dogs were over there in that house with no nothing. And nobody to call and nobody to tend to them. And I sat down here for about 10 days and I finally saw Sheriff Wade and I'm beating on the door, Sheriff Wade, help me, help me, help me. And he did, he even came to court with me. I was pretty impressed by that. He did, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going, and I looked and the doors open and there's Sheriff Wade walking up to see what was going on with me. And I appreciate that. Um, but I know it's because that he cares about, you know, John and Carol so much and that they were, he knew they'd be worried. Um, and I'll tell you, I couldn't think of a single phone number. Uh, I didn't, I didn't even have an inmate number. I was so sick, but, but I was sick in this way more than anything was that if something happened to my dogs, I had it planned out. I, and, and this, I know with every hair on my head, every fiber of my being, I had it planned out how long it would take them to get to the box to the sally port, in the sally port, in, get my door open before I could be hanging from the sprinkler. 
I had every second of it planned out. I was, and it jarred me. They say in the rooms, they say, you know, that a relapse can be a jarring experience that makes all the difference. Well, it rocked me. Like, I, I know that I was gone. I know. You know, I, I, I don't know how I made it. But I'm going to tell you something. I couldn't think of anybody's phone number. And all of a sudden, it just came to me. 202669991. Man, I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to tell you something. I went to that phone. And I dialed that number, and she hadn't spoken to me in a couple years, and she knew I wasn't doing nothing but out, but out there using. And she took my call. And, um, you know, and she, she, helped me, she helped me get out of here. And she said, we'll do it on one condition. You come out here, and you get uh, the, the implant, you know, the block the, you know, block drugs from you know, blocking from feeling drugs so uh, i was like you know she, and she even reminded me this later she was like you know i can remember a time when you would have said hell no i'll stay here because i would because i can do time y'all but i said i'll do whatever you say and i came out and i did whatever she said i went straight and i got that implant um and I was really, really sick. I, I could hardly walk across the floor. But um, but I immediately uh, I, I made a decision right early, early on when I came out of this jail. I said, no matter how much I need the money, no matter what opportunity I get, I'm going to a meeting every single night and I'm not going to work more than 30 hours and it's going to be in the day because I do not want anything interrupting my meetings, right? And I did that. So I got out and I just kept coming and I just kept coming. And I went right back into the house where my dogs had been in there, all the pipes had froze. And the only reason the dogs made it is because the pipes froze and busted and it was squirting water. So they had water to drink. They didn't starve to death and my bondsman threw a bag of dog food over the, over the fence over there. Um, so I had to go back into the house where there was stuff everywhere. There was stuff, there was stuff everywhere. That house was full of drugs. And I had to go in there and I had to clean that shit up. And I had to leave there and go to a meeting. And I had to come back there and tend to my dogs and live with the mess that I made and keep cleaning it up. And then I'd get a little work and I'd get over there and I'd do a little work. And then I'd take my filthy working little ass over and I'd go to a meeting and I'd come home. And, um, you know, and it's like, so that went on for about nine months. I'm about like nine months clean at this point. And, or maybe not quite nine months, maybe, no, hey, let me back up. Three months. I was three months clean. Three months clean. I wasn't homeless yet. I hadn't been evicted yet. But I get a call on the phone. My brother, right down the street up here, Econolage on uh, Broad Street, that my brother had overdosed and died. Yep, I was three months clean. So I had to go pick my dad up. I had to go over to the Econolage and 
identified my brother naked, cold, and stiff like that brick wall on the floor of his hotel room, right? And then I had to have his memorial service. I did that, like, at three months clean. What the hell? And so, you know, and, and deal with his little baby daughter, you know, five or six years old at the time. And um, so I, I had his memorial service, and then, you know, so that was one thing. And then a few months after that, I, I guess maybe I was about seven, eight months clean, nine months clean, I got evicted from the house where I was living. So I spent the next eight or nine months paying $500 plus at a hotel room down here at Glenside, uh, the extended stay type thing, me and, and my dogs and everything I own, which was nothing now, in, a, in a nine months before I, could, I couldn't find a place to live. Did I say a month? Yeah. I meant a week. Yeah. I meant a week. It was 500 and some dollars a week. Right? All I was doing was working to live there. Work to live there. Work to live there. People would help me, you know, a little bit. But basically, man, I'll tell you, basically, it, it was like, it was maddening. Like, I didn't know if I was ever going to get out of there. But I went to a meeting every night. I talked to my sponsor every day. I kept saying prayers, man. I, I just kept doing the damn thing. And, you know, and then, um, and then, you know, I rolled around and then, uh, so then I found, uh, I, I found a garage, actually John found it for me, of somebody who had a house, who had an empty garage. And I went and I lived in that with my dogs and everything I own. And it was a space about this little square, if, if that big. And, and we lived there for some months. Well, it came up on my first year anniversary. So I have a home group over in Churchill. And about after, after a couple, about a month, my car died. And I ended up having to buy this old beater um, Ford F-150. And it was like California turquoise blue or something. And um, I didn't have a license. I didn't have anything. None of it was legal. But I had the money and I had to drive. So uh, this lady had uh, got the title in her name so that, you know, because I didn't have to go pay all those court cost fines and fees. I didn't, you know, I always find a way to circumvent whatever rule there is, which is, you know, a lot of, a lot of what's held me back a lot because I never think that I, I think the rules don't apply to me, right? That, that's got me a whole bunch of times that, that there's some kind of loophole that I can get out. Of the rules. Well, I left, I left my um, first year anniversary where I had all these fine speakers and full house, hundred and some people in there eating, meeting. I'm wearing my dress up pants, my dress up shirt. I got my cake in the seat and I drive home and I see a cop falling behind me. Then I saw another one falling behind him. Then I saw two more falling behind him. And next thing you know, all their lights came on at the same time. I pull into the uh, next parking lot, 
And I got 15 Henrico County cops with, like, full tactical gear and guns all pointed at my head, me in my dress-up pants, flat on my face. I had been arrested for stealing my own car. Why? Because I didn't follow the rules. I didn't get the truck in my name. I got it in that woman's name, and, 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 and she had some getting even to do. So there was that. Well, you know, I ended up getting a whole bunch of that stuff straight. And between then and now, I, you know, it was right after that. And I, I just want to say that, that during, the, you know, like during the holidays and, you know, the holidays before my first year, my first year anniversary and stuff like that, you know, I spent basically, I spent all my time with recovering people. Um, and I stayed, I stayed, I stayed around the, the recovery houses. I, I worked the weekends, you know, over at the, at the center at the McShane Foundation. I'd work the weekends over there. And, um, and it, you know, it's like I knew I did not have any, really, I didn't have anybody to invite me to Thanksgiving. I didn't have any at Christmas. You know, I was going to be pretty much by myself. So what I've done, what I did then and what I still am doing now is like when, when stuff like that comes up, I embed myself in service work. Like, I, you know, it's like I, I communicate with my sponsor. I go to meetings. I communicate where I am, you know, and, um, you know, and I just, I, I get into recovery mode. Like, I know that when all else fails, no matter how tough my life is, that if I can pause and find someone I can help. Like, I, you know, and I think that's what John was talking about because, because while all this really hard stuff was going on, man, I was constantly working with fresh addicts. Even though I just had my few little months in one year and, you know, a year and a half and two years and, you know, and stuff like that, man, COVID hit, man, I'm telling you, there, I, there, won't, no, there won't no COVID for me. I, I couldn't have COVID. I, I couldn't have the 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 the, the pandemic because um, I have to have addicts, right? And and regardless, I got my ass over there and I started facilitating groups, and I started work, working at the women's house out there. Um, you know, and it's like every time, I, you know, I guess that's the whole the whole point of what I'm trying to say is that, like, we are addicts. I say we, uh, I'm assuming, I just make assumptions about other addicts, but it, but it talks about literature all over the place, is that at the core of, of our disease is self-centeredness, right? And it's like any, any kind of way that I can combat that, it, it usually has something to do with turning myself out and working with a, a, a newcomer. Like basically, that is the, the best thing that I can do. And I, and, I, and I say this, not because I'm bragging about it, but Thanksgiving Day, here it is. You know, I'm coming up on my fourth year and I got plenty of stuff I can do on Thanksgiving, right? Thanksgiving Day, I'm, I'm going to be speaking. I'm doing a workshop at a, a, a rehab in Williamsburg, right? And, and, you know, it's like I got stuff lined up 
all through the holidays like that. Um, it, you know, it's such a gift that my sponsor, she has a, she has a big anniversary coming up. It's like November sort of like kicks off with her anniversary, then Thanksgiving. And I, so service there for the anniversary and, you know, being a part of that and, you know, and then, you know, coming in and hanging out with people and new and recovery for Thanksgiving, because a lot of people are bombed out for the holidays. I'm the main one. And the main thing that saved me is you. Every single time. Right. And, and I have been able to walk through some of this stuff. Um, there's a couple things that I want to touch on before I close. And one of them is um, I just recently I had ACDF surgery and that's that's anterior uh, cervical dissectomy infusion, ACDF. I had five levels of um, vertebrae in my neck that had to have hardware. Right. I was terrified. I was sure, like for months, I was melting down because I was sure that I was going to, I knew that I couldn't have this surgery without narcotics, right? So I, I was sure, you know, I had, I had my fate, you know, I, I, I was sure that I, that it, I was going to turn into a monster on the first pill. And, and for some reasons, like I started working with my doctor, I got an addiction doctor. I worked with my surgeon, got the surgeon and addiction doctor worked together and they were working with my sponsor, like my sponsor was on all these Zoom calls with the doctors and surgeons and everything. Like I was transparent about the whole thing, right? And do you know, I came out of that hospital and I stayed at my sponsor's house for a couple of days. I went home and the day after I got home, made it five days that I had this surgery and I took those narcotics. I did have to take narcotics but I took them and I, I took pictures of all my schedule and everything. I took those doggone pills to the DEA take back y'all. I didn't sell them. I didn't eat them. I didn't cheat in any way, you know, and because of that, I get to stand at the mirror in the morning and look myself in the eye y'all. In this last couple of years, you know, I, I've never, had a credit card. I've never had anything in my name. I've never paid insurance. My bills come in. I'd get electric turned on and the first bill it would go in the trash can. I never paid it. And it would it would linger until it got cut off and then I'd get some church to pay. Um and and everything I have is in my name. Everything I everything I have is insured. My dogs you know, my dogs are fed the same dog food, not whatever I dumpstered from PetSmart, you know, whatever. Um, and, you know, and it's like I take care of my health. This part, I take care of this part. But more than anything, I take care of the recovery first. Working still does not come before recovery. Nothing. And I like, you know, and I'm just saying I, I stayed single. I stayed single this time because I needed to build a relationship with someone who and my sponsor. I needed to learn to, to recognize myself coming. I had to learn to see myself coming. And with my sponsor, like with, with my sponsor, I had to learn to be able to consider someone else besides myself. Like I have to be able to consider someone else's feelings. I have to learn to trust and be honest with someone else. 
and it, you know, and it's like, it's been a process. And because of that, man, I'll tell you what, I, I've got a life. I do have a life, you know, I got, I got a credit. I didn't know what a credit score was, what a normal one was. I got, I first got my credit score. It was like 400, you know, and now it's like, I've been paying all my bills and it's like up there around 700. I'm, I'm almost at the verge of being able to buy a house, you know, and I'll tell you something. I never had anything like that. I never had a home, y'all. And um, so I'm going to leave you with this one little ditty and it's by Rumi. If you ever, if you ever heard of Rumi, he's a, a poet from Afghanistan, it's present day Afghanistan, but from the 13th century. And the poem is called Caravan and it's just one little ditty part of it. It says, come, come, all you worshipers, all you wanderers, all you lovers of leaving, even if you broke your vows, a thousand times it doesn't matter we are not a caravan of despair come thank you Tammy does like to talk a lot now I mean can't give her a word count that's for sure look folks Marshall me and Marshall, you know, we're glad to come in here. This is part of our service work. This is what we do. You know, Tammy touched on that. There's a reason I ain't used or done drugs in 40 years, you know, because I found a new way to, to live. And, and, I, and, you know, I just think it's a pleasure to come up in here and chat with you guys and bring in speakers and whatnot. Um, Marshall, what do you got? Uh, yeah, thank you, Tammy, for sharing. Uh, for me, my takeaway was... Uh, talking about the struggle, you know, and I, as well as others, need to hear about that struggle, you know, uh, because it, it's not easy, you know, but the benefits of it far outweigh this, you know. Uh, I talked earlier about finding out things about yourself, you know, and I, I could relate to that. I could understand it when I heard her, you know, because I went through that same dilemma. Is jail all I, is jail all I can do? You know what I mean? I'm in jail. Is that all I can do? You know, I know I can do more, you know, and, and having that spiritual awakening after time again and time again being in jail, you know what I mean? But the struggle, as they say, the struggle is real. You know, and this disease, man, is cunning, baffling, insidious. You know, you can get out here with all intentions of doing the right thing and find yourself somewhere where you're not supposed to be and you're using again, you know. And, and the reason I'm still finding myself uh, things about myself, because I don't trick myself enough, you know. No more tricks. That's right. I'm we are. Uh, we got Kelly. You want to say a couple words? You come up in here, Kelly. Kelly used to reside here. She's all excited to know we're back up in these jails and that we're bringing meetings back up in here. She wants to get involved and help. I said, "You slip in the back door. You want to say hi or anything? Come on up, limp up here. You're all right. You limped in here." Kelly is a. Uh, hopefully, she doesn't have to go as hard headed as, as long as. Uh, Tammy did. Yeah. I want to hear you on Facebook. Yeah, um, yeah, my name is Kelly. I'm a 
nice to be here. I used to take reading out to um, GL East, like 2017. <clears throat> um, I feel particularly held to like be a part of this because um, my drug addiction has led me to spend a lot of time in this jail, particularly uh, in Rikers County. Um, All together, I've done about five years between sitting on the third floor and jail east. Um, and I, I mean, I, my story is kind of like Tammy's, you know, um, just a cycle, you know, jail, get out, stay clean, um, you know, relapse, jail, get out, stay clean, relapse. Um, I lived in Michigan when I was 17 and graduated high school in a recovery house. So clearly I was introduced to a new way of life at a very young age. Um, but with that comes a certain amount of responsibility to stay dedicated to that way of life, right? We veer off for whatever reasons. Relationships was a big one for me. Um, you know, I'd meet a girl, and within a couple months, you know, I'm getting hot. Um, so long story short, like John said, um, I won't take up too much time, but um, you know, it's it's definitely, um, like, like you said, the struggle. I mean, just sitting here right now, I mean, you know, I, I was talking with the sheriff, and. You know, she has tears in her eyes when she's talking to me because, you know, she remembers, you know, me sitting on that bench out there after they've let me out. And, you know, the people that work here at the jail are like, shit, you know, Kelly's outside. Uh, you know, like, somebody better go get her, you know. And uh, they like, come out and like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm waiting on a ride. I hadn't called anyone, didn't have a phone, you know, was, was going to start walking down the street. And, um, you know, by the grace of God, really, like, my life was spared. Know, through the struggle um and I, I do not want to to be to live in pain i don't want to i don't want that life anymore, you know so um but i cannot want it and still end up there right so what do i have to do to stay on this side um that's what i'm just you know staying dedicated to and it is it's a pleasure to be in here because like tammy said like i am you right you know i used to be over on work release and then end up getting kicked off for having a bag of needles and dope in my backpack at work right so like I am you, you know, we're more alike than different. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's nice to be here and, um, you know, I hope that each and every one of you guys can, you know, just find, find that hope, you know, because nobody, man, I, I don't want anybody to be here, man. Like there's so much more to life than sitting up there and just, you know, it's just, it's not pleasant. So. All right. Thank you, Kelly. You got that from the um, we know you missed your Bible study tonight. I apologize for that. We'll try to not interfere with the schedule again. Uh, preacher, you want to say anything? You want to close us out with a good prayer at least or anything? Well, come on up front and do it. Give the Reverend a hand, man. It's It's 18 degrees or 90. We're out there. So, um, but great. Uh, everything tonight. Enjoyed it. Thank you for having me sit back here. Appreciate that. Um, so, before I close, I just want to say, you know, I'd be um, negligent if I didn't say, you know, when it comes to being saved, you're either saved or you're not. 
there's no in between. Um, there's something we all have in common. We're all going to be at the judgment seat. It just depends on if it's for rewards or if it's not. And nobody wants the alternative, right? We're not going to be up there making excuses or anything like that. So um, when I was listening to the presentations, uh, you know, when I, we do this in Bible, we've talked about this in Bible study too. There's 25 people out there that would love to be sitting right here tonight. They're not alive. They're not alive. So we've got mercy. And the question that everybody needs to think about, including myself, I don't just say you, it's me too, is what are we going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Um, two ladies back there, good examples of what do you do with it? Because they're going out making a difference. And once you start making a difference in people's lives, they start relying on you. And then you're not doing it for yourself anymore. You're doing it for them. Because if you fall, they fall. So the more people you can support, actually the better it works for you. It works for them and it works for you. Because you can't, I always give Pi as an example. A lot of y'all know Pi. Um, comes back here, he's got a lot of people look after him because he looked up to him because he's done really well. So he can't fall. He can't fall. So think about that. What do, you, what do we do with our mercy? So, Hurley, give us a short one to close us out. Well, I like this. It's getting better. Good evening, everybody. We're going to do this very quick. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you for this day, God. We thank you for these speakers. Lord, we ask you right now to touch each and every one in the sound of my voice, God. We ask you to touch the speakers, God. Continue to work with them. Continue to be their Lord and Savior. But most of all, God, give them wisdom and knowledge and guidance. And bless every man, every woman, everybody that's here tonight, God. We ask you, God, in the name of Jesus, to touch, heal, and deliver. Amen. Amen. Thank you, fellas. We'll be out here in two weeks. We'll be back out here on Tuesday. Thank you so much for your attendance and your patience. I hope you all had a good time tonight. the CEO of the McShen Foundation and a woman in long-term recovery since May 27, 2007. I have not used drugs or alcohol. Thank you so, so much to the Richmond Times Dispatch and all of our voters for getting the Herd podcast. Those podcasts are amazing. Not only has it helped thousands upon thousands of people in their recovery, as well as family members, but it has helped me in my personal recovery. I get to listen to them now in my car through Spotify and iHeartRadio. And it's just really, really important for us to be innovative in the addiction field and the recovery community. So when COVID hit, we had to be innovative. You know, we really had to think of like, what can we do to reach people that cannot go to 12-step meetings? smart recovery, faith-based, whatever, um, that we're shutting down constantly. So we were innovative here at McShen, let's start podcast. So with Todd, John, Alex, um, and some other staff, you know, we all just kind of jumped in who can do what. And um, with Todd's lead and John's lead, 
the podcasts have been amazing and we're still doing them today. So I want to thank you for all of your votes and all of your energy and all of your support of our mission of healing families and saving lives. Thanks.